It's time to wake up to Tequila Sunrise. I am Greg White, your supply chain tech advisor, with more insights into what you need to know to succeed in supply chain tech startup, growth, investment, and transformation. So let's tip a glass to another enlightening Tequila Sunrise. Hey, in supply chain transportation, reporting, analytics, and visibility leave a lot to the imagination and frankly, create a lot of frustration for the people who use them. So I've experienced this a bit myself in supply chain planning, a little bit different industry, but we had the same issue. And as a practitioner in supply chain and a solution provider, I've seen it firsthand and it is incredibly frustrating. My goal for this episode is that we alleviate that frustration and risk to help you optimize your transportation effectiveness, your spend, and of course, visibility, but even more. By the time my guest Shannon Valancourt and I are done today, you'll know why you should expect more than just visibility, what a better alternative is, and also how to convert that visibility into meaningful and impactful vision. So let me introduce Shannon and what he's all about. He's the CEO of Rate Links, and it's a transportation management, visibility audit and analysis provider. And he's not new to supply chain either. Shannon started Rate Links in 2002. In fact, we started our companies at roughly the same time. He's often published, um, and in fact, is one of the few uh, it, few on the invite-only Forbes Technology Council. Did I get that right? Correct. Yeah. He's been he's been proving it with solutions and improving businesses longer than most TMS and visibility pri- providers have even existed. So, Shannon, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This time we're not quite at uh, sunrise, so I'm a little little off. Yeah, yeah. sunrise. Yeah, that's but right. I, I think we will we will adapt and and move on. But thanks again for for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, it's great. You know, I think you and I share a lot of similar philosophies in terms of <clears throat> the why of our business. Right? You are big on not just visibility, not just transparency, and not just uh, the availability of data, but all these prescriptive insight insights that you can get from that. Instead of sharing kind of incomplete or even inaccurate or untimely data and analytics, you guys make sure that it's all of those things, of course, timely and accurate, but then you tell people what to do with it. So can you share a little bit about that philosophy? Well, I think a lot of that just comes from uh, trying to solve the problem. You know, at the end of the day, when we look at our customers, really what they're trying to do is solve the problem. And they either have uh, you know, inventory issues, they got shipment issues, costs are up, something's happening that's causing them to go out and look for a solution. Yeah. And rather than just giving them pieces where they then still have to do a lot of work uh, on their side, we try to actually get to the root cause and go, okay, what problem are we really trying to solve here? And then let's make sure we put in the right solution for it. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of times people miss that mark. Um, And instead, what they do is they try to deploy. And that's where we talk about a 3D approach. 
the three Ds, where it's diagnose, develop, deploy. And what we see is a lot of not only uh, providers, but also customers always try to deploy first. And then they come back around and they diagnose the problem that maybe they exacerbated uh, or amplified. Right. Uh, and then they develop another solution. And that's why a lot of these deployments of your, you know, off the shelf software that's supposed to solve the problem takes so long is because they're not deployed from the perspective of will it solve this problem? I think it's because they just don't determine what the problem is. And then the next step really is saying, well, what's my definition of success? Yeah. So if you don't have those two bookends, uh, it's pretty hard, I think, to, to get what you're looking for in the market uh, and actually solve that problem. And that's, that's kind of what I've learned from being on the implementation side on the early part of my career, you know, having a, you know, coming out of school with an electrical engineering degree and being thrown into implementation of these software products. That's what I learned is, you know, you would see a lot of times where you're like, well, why did you install this thing? Why did you buy this piece of software? And they're like, well, cause I thought it would solve this problem. <laughs> right. And it's like, huh, well, now you, you understand why it's not solving the problem because you really need, you know, this other piece or you're really, you, you really can't even solve it because you're missing a fundamental uh, piece of data or a fundamental process is, is just wrong within your organization. That's the real issue. So that's why I think, you know, when we started rate links back in 02, you know, I just wanted to do it a different way. You know, I just, I, I enjoy understanding how customers do what they do and make sure that we are actually delivering value. Because at the end of the day, if we're not delivering value, what's the point? I mean, we're just the cost. And um, I just didn't like that. You know, I yeah. like to actually make sure we're, we're helping move them forward. So that's why we've taken the approach we have. So you said a couple things there that really hit home. One is so many technologies are a hammer looking for a nail. Right. And I, I think my experience, Shannon, has been that's why some of these technologies get deployed first and the problem diagnosed second. I think too often when you have technology, you just want the customer to buy in because most companies make their money on selling the technology and they're, they're selling that technology. Then they're on to the next deal. They're not worried about delivering on on the value. And and the other is it. You mentioned they didn't get the result they want. Often what they really got was acceleration of the problem. Because yeah. if you automate a bad process, all you do is fail faster. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And and, and that has been uh, an issue in the industry. But, but, you know, I think. I think you guys take a little bit different approach, not only from the fact that you diagnose first, but also your implementation is not. It's not big four e big four ish type implementation. It's very light, more configurable than than customizable, right? And yeah. and so it take does it? I mean, I feel like I've always used that methodology myself, and I feel like that takes a ton of risk out of the implementation process, and yet can solve mm -hmm. the diagnose 
you know, can well, can help the solution attack the diagnosis. Right? Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's two things that we do very differently, I think, than most. Uh, one is just our business model. Uh, we don't charge for professional services, mm. which is odd. Yeah, but that's again, a good way to keep to, from piling it, professional services on, too. Oh, I mean, because if I'm charging uh, professional service time, the only way I make money on that is I need to take time. It behooves me right. to be slow. It behooves me to not really quite solve the problem. Um, and that's where, you know, if I am giving you advice on, hey, I think you should do this or do that, then it's like, well, should, you know, if I'm the customer, it's like, should I really? Because how much is that going to cost me in time, for example? Yep. And so we try to do very quick implementations because you actually can do very quick implementations. So because we're not charging for professional service fees, it doesn't impact us because that's not our model. So that way we can deploy quick and get a short time to value. And then the second thing that I think is different for us is our software is what we call extensible. So we can extend its capabilities to really fit the need of the customer. And that's where I found in my past that a lot of times we would get to about 80% of what the customer needed and we just couldn't take it to that final 100%. And that's because the amount of customization, because that's all that you could do in the past, was way too much. Whereas we extend its capabilities, there's, a, there's an architecture built for this. So that way, the standard product piece, which is doing 80% of the heavy lifting, mm -hmm. can get upgraded and updated. Um, new features can get added. New technologies can get added. And it doesn't impact the quote-unquote customization that we did. In fact, we talked to a customer yesterday. And they're going through asking a bunch of questions about the product and you know, how long has it been installed. You know, It's like, oh, it's been there since 2006. And they're like, um, you know, what about the amount of customizations? And I'm like, yep, that's, you know, it's doing all these pieces that are custom to you. And I don't think we've changed it since 2007. And they're like, well, wait, we're on the latest version of your product and you haven't touched that? And I'm like, no, yeah, you're, you're on the latest version. We haven't touched it because of the architecture and how it's built. Yeah. And it's like, there's some peace of mind to that. Um, so, yeah, cause usually the opposite is the case, oh. right? If you have customization, <clears throat> you often can't upgrade well, because of those customizations, right? Well, and can't you, or is it because I, you can't, cause there's no professional services. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, that, that's true. It behooves you to not do it in a way that allows customizations if you're charging yeah. for hours. So that's why, again, I'm here to help you know, drive value for the customer, not get in the way. And I think that's what caused a lot of friction out there. And, you know, we want to partner with the, with the customer and really collaborate. And I think that's where the, that's missing a lot because collaboration is really built on two parties having a, the same goal. And with some of the uh, providers out there and customers, they don't have the same goal. Uh, so that's why you're, you feel some friction from time to time. Whereas for us, we have the same goal. You know, we want to help remove exceptions, help deliver value, make sure we're solving the right problem. 
And we get a lot of requests from customers that we ask them, you know, what, what problem is this going to solve? And they're like, well, I'm hoping it's going to solve this problem. And it's like, well, it might not. And it's yeah. like, maybe you should actually do something different. And then, you know, they may go end off going and doing something with another provider because that's really going to solve the problem. And it's not really in our wheelhouse. And I think yeah. that's, that's a unique thing in, in working with us and how we work with a lot of customers out there. Because that's I think a refreshing that's the right approach. You know, I'm, that's a really refreshing approach because most, particularly in technology, most companies, they just want to get the subscription or license or whatever <clears throat> and at, at any cause cost. And I, I honestly, I think that has been a big, that has been a big uh, impact on the inefficiencies in supply chain. Companies like ERPs, which are essentially souped up finance systems, right? A mile wide and an inch deep. Um, getting into supply chain solutions um, has been has been hard on the industry because the solutions are I wouldn't even say they're minimum viable product they're they're very very so basic and so many of these companies and I see it every day you know I came from the automotive industry where volume volume and specificity was very unique in that industry you know this you might have a part that only fits one car out of 1 million. Um, so you have to be very specific. And when I see the state of, for instance, some manufacturers and transportation providers, the state of their technology and what they're accepting as solutions, it's, uh, it's eye-opening because we solved so many of these problems in finished goods, you know, in retail and distribution, we solved so many of these problems decades ago. And by decades ago, I mean, two or three decades ago, and I mean solved in a way, and I know you've seen this, solved in a way that people in manufacturing, some manufacturing companies and, and others can't even comprehend. They're, you know, it's like magic to them. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the deployment model and the, uh, the diagnosis model of traditional technology. And it's refreshing to see companies that are both willing to say, no, that's not us. But also when they do say, yeah, we can do it, they can really do it, like really approach the problem and um, not just provide visibility, as we talked about, but real prescriptive insights. So and I think sometimes the problem with visibility is it's not really solving the problem. It's just giving you a more automated way to handle the exception, or it's giving you a software way for the person to click a button instead of them having to deal with a piece of paper. It's like they've, yeah. they've I wouldn't even say automated, they've digitized the poor process that the customer was doing and thinking that it's being delivered through a computer screen to a human, uh, is their way of automating it because they're like, Hey, now you just click the button instead of having to write this on a piece of paper or staple it and file it. And it's like, no, that's not really, it's just, you know, showing them all of their information on a computer screen. That's visibility. Yeah. Uh, and that's where, you know, a lot of people out there are, you know, they have data, they have a lot of data, uh, but you know, like we talk about on the data quality side, is it accurate, complete, and timely? Yeah. And 
sometimes people forget what the complete part is, you know, because we talk about uh, data and it's like, well, is it the right data? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And, and that's the complete part, you know? So are you missing a component of it? Yeah, it's accurate. You know, the number is five, but it's five what? Five what? <laughs> right. Five dollars. Like, yeah. Five is it thousand you know, pounds? <laughs> and think about if I'm if I'm you know storing it that way or or you know that's a good one. You leave currency out. It's yeah. Like it's five, and it's like oh that's good, and it's like well, is it five pounds? Five Canadian dollars? Five U.S. dollars? <laughs> five pesos? So, <laughs> so th- this it, particularly in in transportation, this fascination with visibility is. I would say relatively new. I know it's been around forever. And, and you know, in as much as you started Rate Links in 2002 and you have evolved to this prescriptive model, not, I mean, this is just my perception of what many people mean by visibility. And that is visibility is a way, is kind of a new age term for reporting or analytics or business intelligence or whatever, it's not always that, but whatever we have evolved to try to upgrade the name of that for uh, over the years. But I think you saw something when you started Rate Links, and I'm curious, one, why, why do you see so much momentum around visibility in the last several years? And what did you see then that allowed you to get to where you are now that in my, in, you know, in my estimation seems to be so far ahead of just plain visibility, it's actual prescriptive insights and recommendations. What to do with the visibility is what I perceive that you do. Is that a fair? Yeah. I okay. mean, that's exactly. How did you get there? Uh, uh, to me, it just makes sense. <laughs> I wish I'm like, um, part of it is I'm wired to be pretty lazy. Um, so a lot of what we do and, it, you know, there's a good lazy and there's a bad lazy. So, yeah. I've heard you get up at like four 30 or five o'clock. In the I'm, morning, a, I'm so an early be that morning guy. Um, yeah. but what, it, but I'm about efficiency. That's there the lazy go. part of me. Yeah. And there's, there's one thing I hate doing. And it's the same thing again. I hate it. That is the one thing I will not do. I won't do something twice. Why? And it's like, well, the reason why you had to do it twice or three times because you didn't do it right the first time. So, you know, you think about data and if it's showing me something and then I'm always doing the same action, what's the point? I don't understand. You're not adding any value uh, to the organization. And that's kind of how I've always thought about this stuff. It's like, man, wouldn't it be nice if when you see this value, you don't have to go through that thought process again of, oh, what do I do? Right. Because I've also learned that depending on the person that you put in front of it, they may interpret that differently. And again, this is the engineer side. Every time you map out a process, you circle the parts where there's a person who has to make a decision and that's a risk point. So it's like, let's just remove the risk points from the process and make the computer do it. And that's where I think the prescriptive insight comes into play. And I think that's where now what companies are realizing is, you know, you talk about and you read about all the talent gaps. Oh my God, we've got this big talent gap in logistics. What are we going to do? And it's, 
there's no talent gap for execution. You can get anybody to click a button, but is that the right button being clicked at the right time, doing the right thing? Yeah. That's why there's a talent gap because all of these solutions out there are all about executing, not about making the decisions. And why would I have to ask you to click the button if you click this button 100 out of 100 times when this data looks this way? Why would I do that? That makes no sense to me. So that's how we've built our system where the prescriptive insight can not only tell them what to do, but it can actually do it for them and then just tell them it did it. Hey, by the way, it just updated your routing for you because it hit this condition. You know, this carrier was you know, not on time or there's a new carrier in the mix that you know, fits the, the model better or the product goes better on this uh, carrier or goes better this mode. The system can see that. It's the same decision-making that we're making. Uh, you know, what's interesting is hmm. when it comes to uh, making decisions, you know, what, what's fascinating about the human brain is the human brain is the greatest pattern recognition computer in the world. So what's held computers back from the AI and machine learning is their capacity to learn. It's just capacity. It's computing right. capacity. The more patterns they can recognize, the computer, the more like our brain it gets. Do so you think about the earliest form of pattern recognition is knowing who you're talking to. So it's like, I see you on the video call and it's like, oh, it's great. Yeah. I recognize the face. That's the pattern I'm recognizing. So now think about in your daily job, what you're doing. You're, you're getting all these inputs and you're recognizing the pattern. Oh, this input is bad. I need to now take this action to it. Now imagine I'm giving you bad data. It's not complete. Right. Isn't that when you make a wrong decision? It's not because you're a bad decision maker. It's because you didn't have complete data or the data wasn't accurate. That's what causes, you know, think about our kids. Kids are the greatest form of no data quality. They always leave something out, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and they reason. learn, right? I mean, they learn... <laughs> Um, based on the data that they're presented, whether it's right or wrong. Yeah. Well, they recognize the pattern. They're like, if I tell dad this, there's no way he's going to let me go. Right. Because the last time I did it, he said, no way. Yeah. I'm just going to leave that part out. <laughs> so, there, you know, it's interesting you say that because there are, are, are a couple of things that I recognize. One is I think people uh, misunderstand AI and, and, and machine learning and, technology logic. And that is really what we are doing with technology is we are imparting the knowledge of, of humans or validating that the accurate data is always there. I mean, think about how many times, Shannon, you have to ex have experienced this. Somebody has to sit there and press the button because they know some element of the data and it's, and it's always the same element of data is yeah. inaccurate or unavailable. And this person has to make a discernment based on that. Yeah. So there's a couple things obviously we need to do. We need to fix the data, right? And provide that better data to that human. And, and, um, and then the other is when that becomes repeatable, we need to impart that knowledge from that human into the machine. That's why it's called machine learning. 
and artificial intelligence because most intelligence is is human intelligence imparted as a start and then that pattern recognition uh, occurs from learning from that the difference with technology is technology is never emotional right it it never forgets the solution because of a stressful event during the decision-making process right um it never forgets to apply all the data that's available because it's programmically developed and and its decision making is um is more consistent because of taking out the the frailties of the human condition those things like emotion forgetfulness right stress whatever yep. um that cause us to make make those mistakes even when we are as equipped as the ai to do it and it takes a lot of burden off of human beings to be able to do that and um, when we can provide a technology that that better guides the human when they're necessary in the process and gives them all and complete and accurate data that they need um, and and when they need to look for exceptions and things like that, the prescriptive <clears throat> prescriptive insight or the recommendation, right? It becomes the recommendation unless, I know something that the data doesn't reflect. And it's pretty much as simple as that. Do you yeah. think? I think so. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, when, I, when we talk about prescriptive, I always think about, you know, medicine and going to the doctor. And it's like, you know, I just, I went in last week, it was for my physical. And I had lots of visibility to all of my numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what it means. <laughs> I get all this, right. They take three vials of blood and they run it through everything. And they're like, you're, you're whatever number is 21. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. I don't understand. I, but I had visibility. So isn't that, isn't that what you're supposed to have? I don't understand. I, I, that's really, a really good analogy because just cause you have that visibility doesn't give you any ability to do anything with it. Right. And I think that's where there's, there's this, you know, knowing versus understanding. Visibility is knowing. Knowing is a bunch of static facts. Understanding is more of an active uh, process. It's the ability to take these facts in context to build the big picture. So you take all of my numbers, you put it together, and they're like, yeah, you're okay. You're, you don't need anything. You seem to be healthy. You know, you're doing well. And then they show you your ranges, you know, based on your age and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, I'm right in the middle or I'm near the low end of of stuff. So that's good. And again, that's understanding. That's putting it into context and getting the big picture. And that's ultimately the gap that you have with visibility. You're giving visibility to people and now you're relying on them to actively take that and build the big picture what if they build it wrong because they just don't understand i mean that's what you always hear from somebody right and they're like oh i didn't understand what that meant right but i saw it i knew it i didn't understand it and that's the prescriptive insight it bridges that gap why do you think it is so rare to take this approach of going from just visibility Mm -hmm. to a prescriptive insight or recommendation 
understanding. <laughs> so think of it's hard too. I mean, well, right? It's a difficult thing to do, and and it requires a lot of experience. So if I'm a if I'm a pure technology person, I could come in to this industry and I can connect data mm-hmm. and I can collect data. But what I don't know is I don't understand it. I just don't. So it's like, how would I give you a good suggestion on that data if I don't understand it? And I think that's what makes it hard is there's a lot of technology people who came into transportation uh, who are like, oh, heck, I can just connect all this stuff together. I mean, here's an API. You know, and that's when you start hearing all the buzzwords. That's mm-hmm. kind of my red flag. When you're hearing technology buzzwords in the marketing that probably means they don't really understand the industry because that's not how you would think if you were in the transportation department or on the supply chain side, you wouldn't care if it's an API uh, or if it's EDI or if it's uh, JSON or whatever the heck else they're using. You just want to know. So is this good or is this bad? And if it's bad, what should I do about it? That's all you care about. Yeah. That's right. I think that's what's the problem and the solution. And it, and to me, you're right. The technology itself is, it's the hammer, right? It really is. We're trying to build a roof better and faster. Yeah. And, and the technology is a better hammer, (laughs) right? Um, So you're right. When people start focusing on what the technology is rather than what the technology does or what it means, I mean, those are, those are principles that I like to live by. There's what it is, what it does, and what it means. And the what it means is what really matters. You're going to make millions more or whatever in your company or save millions, whatever it is. The what it, the what it does is it, you know, it gives you these, recommend, these educated recommendations that allow you to make better decisions. And what it is is that's kind of the – that's kind of the – due diligence aspect of it. Oh, AI helps with that or, you know, or linear technology or APIs or EDI or whatever, (laughs) right? All those I's and whatnot, right? All the acronyms. So, so we probably ought to tell, uh, tell people who you work with at rate links. So who, who are you helping to solve problems for with the tech that you guys have? So across from a vertical perspective, pretty much every vertical out there, whether it's retail, manufacturing, e-commerce, you name it. Uh, and we're typically in the supply chain uh, area uh, and we're starting to leak over into the data area because we're finding that a lot of companies now are starting to create data uh, organizations within their group. And right. that's where we're starting to leak into that area now that it's becoming more prevalent out there. Uh, you know, because a lot of companies now are looking for what they call a integrated platform is mm-hmm. what we're running into a lot. And really, I, again, it's just another word. You know, if we go back 10 years ago, they were looking for big data. Mm-hmm. Uh, then five years ago, they were looking for blockchain. Now it's called an integrated platform. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been looking for the same thing for ever. Uh, they just keep calling it different names. Uh, But that's really what they want is they want to grab all this data, integrate it together. And that's where we we look at it as your your IQ. What's your data IQ? Is it integrated? Mm -hmm. And what's the quality? 
So again, the IQ stands for the integrated and the quality. And that's really what everybody's looking for. Because if I can take my transportation, uh, what did I execute on? How did I do it? If I match it up to the tracking so I can see what service I got from it, and then you match it up to the invoice, what did I ultimately pay for it? You pull those three pieces together and then you start adding in uh, order information, you know, products, uh, customer IDs, things like that. Now you've got your whole picture. That's an integrated and a high quality amount of data because it's an accurate, complete, and then make it timely. So that way it's accessible to the user. That's how you're going to make decisions. And that's where you're going to get the best, I think, prescript, prescriptive insights, the most valuable ones. And that's really what we're running into out there. How can I help you improve your shot at supply chain tech success? Four ways. One, subscribe to Tequila Sunrise wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you're notified of my new episode every week. Two, follow me on LinkedIn and see my supply chain summaries every weekday. Three, if you're a startup founder or growth stage leader and you need an active advisor to propel you through your supply chain tech journey, I'm currently considering select strategic advisory roles. Or four, if you need an incubator or investment for your supply chain tech, reach out to me on LinkedIn and let's talk.